Hello, welcome to Kingdom Culture TV. Today our guest is Vincent Ellis White, author of Finding Chris, My Father, Family Service Advocate, Father and Mentor. Welcome to the Writers Forum, Vincent Ellis White, as we talk about cultural transformation, Kingdom Culture. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Valerie Adams, and welcome to Kingdom Culture TV and the Writers Forum. And today we have the wonderful, wonderful guest who's an author, um, advocate for fatherhood, advocate for adoption and families. I want to welcome today Vincent Ellis White to our platform. Good afternoon, Vincent. How are you? Good afternoon, Miss Valerie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, you want to call me Miss Valerie? Okay, okay, I got it. What you want me to call you? What you want me to call you? That's fine, that's fine, that's fine. But welcome to the Writers Forum, Kingdom Culture. And um, we've been trying to make this happen for a minute, and things are happening in community and COVID and just different things. But I'm glad that you're here today. And I just want to. get a little bit about um, who you are and what you do. And I know you're doing a great work there in Richmond, uh, Richmond, Virginia. Um, you know, you're working with the uh, advocacy for fatherhood and adoption for families. And um, I ran across this book, Finding Chris, Finding finding My Father, Chris. Right? Finding Chris, My Father, yeah. Finding Chris, My Father. And um, it talks about how um, your real life story about how you found your father and um, how you made that connection. You want to talk a little bit about your book? Sure. Um, you want me to go through the whole story or you just want just a portion of it? What you want? What, whatever you whatever you want to talk about. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll try to summarize it, which is it's hard to summarize. It. I'll try to do so. Um, the book is a memoir about me growing up and being raised here in Richmond, Virginia, um, dealing with things that a lot of us here in the city as well as around the world face, which is uh, parental absenteeism, uh, uh, lack of you know father's presence, um, father wounds, uh, things like that, and, and confusion in regards to family secrets and things like that and so it's kind of me giving a personal account of that and so it's it's uh starts here in south side richmond um where i was born and raised and i was raised in a single parent single mother uh home and the person that i knew as my father was uh what they call a habitual offender which is a person that goes in and out of jail continues to offend and goes in and out of jail and so he was in and out of jail during my upbringing um and i didn't know at the time when i was a child that he was going to jail. My mom, like a lot of uh, mothers, tried to shield me from that. And so she told me that he was in school. And so uh, she would take me to visit him. And I would sit in front of him at a picnic table. So I didn't see like the jail bars and things like that. I was able to touch my, reach out and touch my dad. I could talk to him, laugh and joke with him. I thought he was in school because my mom said he was in school, you know, and yeah. so that's kind of how that went. Um, so it's also my story is also a tale of you learning that your parents are human. You know, and so um, as I and, and my mom held the fort down at home, along with like um, my support systems were my grandmother and my aunt um, and my grandfather until he passed. And so 
um, as I went through school after a while, I realized that I had, I realized late, but I realized that my dad was not in school, you know, he was incarcerated. And so um, I was dealing with the, the, all the different emotions that came with having an incarcerated father from uh, embarrassment to, you know, confusion because nobody ever really told me why he was incarcerated. I would ask my mom and she would say he was in the wrong place at the wrong time which doesn't tell you anything, you know, she, right. was, she always tried to protect him. So she didn't badmouth him at all. She tried to protect him, but looking back and now as an adult and as a social worker, I wish that um, she would have been more honest with me as well as I think going forward in this day and age, I think the parents need to just be more honest with kids now than at that time. And so um, I learned he was not uh, the father that I, you know, thought he was. And so I had issues with him from, confusion to abandonment to embarrassment. I was embarrassed that my father was incarcerated and he wasn't home that often. And so I watched my mom struggle um, with one income and trying to make ends meet. And I had a really great childhood. Um, they might've even tried to overcompensate for the fact that, you know, the person that I knew as my father was incarcerated. But um, at the age of 16, 11th grade, my mom sat me down one day after school and she said, um, Basically, in a nutshell, she said, hey, I just want to let you know. She said this nonchalantly, but she said, I want to let you know that your father that you know is your father is not your biological father. Um, and that was the first time I ever heard that. And he was the only father that I knew. And so my, my mind couldn't even fathom him not being my father because even though I had those feelings about him, I also loved him very much, you know, cared for him very much, was close to him, um, along with those negative feelings that I had. And so I was really confused um, at how, and I was 16, you know, so I, I don't think I was yeah. like heavily involved in like sex and stuff like that. So I just didn't even know how, you know, I was like, huh? You know, and so um, she didn't give me much explanation because she more so was concerned with how I felt about the initial shocking news. And all she told me was that your father's name is Chris Anderson. Um, and she didn't tell me much about anything. This is before like Google and even the internet era, era. And so I couldn't like go put in his name like people can do now. I had, I didn't have no way of finding him. I didn't know any siblings or anything. And so um, that threw me off in 11th grade, you know, it strained me and my mother's relationship for a long time. You know, we live in the same house. Um, I lost trust in her and in the person that I knew as my father, his whole side of the family. I didn't trust them immediately because I felt like I was the butt of like some big joke that everybody knew except for me. And so, um, and I, and that, that told me that he was not my blood. And so my 16 year old, 16 year old mind said, if you're not my blood, you're not my family. You know, I don't think of things like that now, but then I thought that way. So I kind of abandoned the whole side of the family, his whole side of the family. And I only kind of dealt with my mom's side of the family because I knew they were my blood because my mom had me. So I was like, that made sense to me at the time. Right, right, right. Um, so uh, I started getting into trouble in school, you know, fights, stealing, being manipulative, um, even some some womanizing, like a lot of stuff just started happening right after that, to which at that time, it just looked like regular behaviors. Um, but again, my social worker mind, I realized it was a, a, um, a trauma, you know, situation, but um, I didn't know what it was at the time and nobody discussed mental health back in, you know, 96. And so right. um, that affected me, you know, in, in my, my mental health and my psyche, but I just started, you know, misbehaving. 
And to fast forward from 16, I graduate high school, I go into Norfolk State, I go to undergrad, I go to graduate school. Um, I still don't know who my father is besides the name Chris Anderson. Uh, I have not met him, have not seen him. Um, I couldn't find him. I don't have any clues or anything. Mm -hmm. And so um, on the surface, everything looks great. Like I am looking good on the surface. I get my degrees, undergrad and graduate. Um, I'm having, you know, relationships. I'm like popular, I have friends, the whole nine, but um, there's a wound there. And whenever somebody would ask about my father or talk about fathers, that was my trigger point. I would snap or get in an argument or something like that. And so um, I don't know if you want me to tell the whole story, but I ended up finding him at the age of 27. Do you want me to tell the whole story? Well, you did find him at the age of 27. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about that because I know this is Black History Month, and um, you know I think it's so important that the male figure and the father figures are, you know, handling their responsibility and their role in the household. And I know that you're a single father, um, right. and you work in in the uh, social work environment to bring families together. Tell us right. how this affected your your career or the things that you do now um, for the culture. Yeah, great question. So um, I never wanted to go into this um, professional trajectory um, or this path at all. Uh, my design, my thought process in undergrad was get my mass comm degree and go work in New York in like film and video. And so that's what I was uh, on a one track, you know, career path to do so. But um, they, what do they say? Like, you know, share your plans with God if you want to make him laugh. Like, I think that's what happened because yeah. everything that I tried to do um geared me towards um give me towards helping children child welfare in some way shape or form and so um i went i started even if i worked in like media i would mentor kids if i worked in an elementary school as a one-on-one -on -one counselor i would mentor kids and so i kept doing side jobs where i was helping children and and and, and child welfare and so as i got older I just ended up going into social work. Um, even when I tried to get away from the position, I went into social work. And so I think it was divine, divinely led um, due to everything I went through, not just in my upbringing with my father, but also I became a father at the age of 25. And um, by 27, I was dealing with custody battles. And so um, there's the whole um, continuum from me being a child, dealing with it, to now being the father dealing with it, not wanting my son to go through the same things that I went through. And so I made a vow to myself, even at an early age of 25, that I was not gonna have that happen no matter what. And so I had to step up to the plate and that's what I did. Um, so I was dealing with it in my personal life as far as custody battles and trying to be present and relevant in my son's life. And, and also dealing with it professionally because I was just entering into my social work field and working for Department of Social Services, working for child support, um, working for, you know, benefits and SNAP and TANF and Medicaid, working mm -hmm. as a mentor um, and all the different elements, working at group homes um, to now working in foster care. I keep I continue to work in child welfare and I and I became a fatherhood advocate because I was dealing with it directly. Um, as well as still getting over the trauma from my 27 years of not having my biological father present in my life. And what was my saving grace was not just my faith and maturity as I aged, but also I, I was fortunate to find my dad and be able to connect with him. But 
there's a million people out here that don't connect with their fathers or when they meet their fathers, they don't live up to their expectations and therefore it causes like more trauma. And so just being able to kind of speak to it personally in two different ways as the child and the adult, as well as speak to it professionally and being able to uh, help families become healthy families or help blended families or help fathers that need advocacy because we're always some steps behind when it comes to, to advocacy for fathers, uh, whether it's in the courtroom or in the media or anywhere. So I always use my voice um, to just be able to advocate for fathers as best as I can. That, that's good. You said something, you said um, that there was a wound there. Um, yeah. Even even though you're bridging the gaps for families and you're, you're in um, in your son's life and your in your mentoring, do you feel like you've healed from that place? Yes, I do. Um, okay. Yes, I do. Um, if you asked me that before I met my dad, if I said yes, it would have been a lie. Um, but once I found my father at 27, I was also I had also matured then. So like I came to the conclusion that I wasn't gonna find him, and um, I was still hurting. And so once I found him along with my faith and uh, maturity um, and was able to talk to him, you know, hear from him and meet him and just kind of um, clear up some of the confusion I was dealing with um, and the different things I was dealing with. Um, I was able to heal. I was able to form a relationship with him. Uh, I was able to speak to what happened and I, I was a mass comm major. And so, I knew how to speak to people, you know, speak to crowds and uh, and be a public, you know, public person uh, and be vocal. And so now I can and, and I'm transparent, you know, I'm not a person like they try to stereotype men that like men can't tap into their emotions or can't you know, speak to this and that. But that's not me. And so um, I was able to be vocal about my journey, which helped like thousands of people. So, yeah, I was good. Good. So, so you got your healing and you said mass comm major, mass communications major. Correct. Okay. Um, wow. What, what would you say to anyone that's struggling with their relationship or not being able to um, maybe find their father or have that missing element? Um, what would you say to the young men that may be listening to this um at a later time, what would you say to them um, that can encourage them to maybe bridge that gap? Um, I would say that um, I encourage every person to try to seek out and find their parent. Um, they will give you plenty of reasons why they don't think it's a good idea because I used to do the same thing. Um, but I tell them, and I talk to a lot of young men that that uh, I encourage to find their father, seek out their father, especially in this day and age when there's so many ways to do so. I didn't have any of these ways to do so. And so um, I encourage that because it's going to clear up a lot of things for you. And it doesn't mean it's going to be all positive. It's just the fact of me having confusion in my head, um, you know, certain feelings, but only having heard one side. And so mm. that's key. And so a lot mm. of these people that say they don't want to meet their father, they don't care for them, you know, or they can do fine without them. They've only heard one side. And so it's, it's always good to hear all sides of a scenario anyway. And also again, clearing up confusion. I learned so much about my health um, in meeting my dad. I learned so much about his variation of the story. You know, I learned so much about who I am from interacting with him. 
and then also meeting you know his uh siblings and his family members on his, on the, my paternal side and so just even being able to learn more about me and the last thing i'll say is you know they always say forgiveness is about you it's not about the other person and so that kind of goes for me too i would encourage somebody that may not want to meet their father because they have certain hurts or harboring some type of feelings i would say forgiveness if there needs to be forgiveness because that may not be the case right. but if there needs to be forgiveness forgiveness is about you it's not about that individual so it's not about your father forgiveness is for you to be able to go forward and be the best variation of you that you can be well that that's good i, I like the fact that um you wasn't even trying to do it, but God used you in a way to bring it, bring it all to a circle, you know, with families. And um, how important is it to have mentors and male role models um, for young men? I think it's extremely important. Uh, I used to, when I used to tell my story, I used to say I was just raised by three single black women, which I was, but I think I was overlooking the other people, the other natural supports that were in my village in my circle and so when i think back there was a lot more people but they just weren't as prominent as the as my mom my grandmother and my aunt who were my strong my three strong black women um that raised me but looking back i was at my mom put me in the boys and girls club and i was there for many many years and i had a lot of strong uh black male supports there um i had my grandfather up until 1993 who was a strong black uh supportive figure in my life it's just that he was a little bit older but looking back, he was like a really prominent community figure. He was an entrepreneur. You know, he commanded respect in my neighborhood. And so these are things that I tried to um, deal with, have as well, you know, in my current life and to show my son as well. So I had him. Um, I went to camps, you know, every year. I had like my uncle from North Carolina that spent time with me. So all those people that were natural supports were part of my village that kind of helped me, whether it was directly or indirectly, but I think they kept me on a straight and narrow, or if I did lean a little bit to the left, they didn't allow me to lean too far. And so um, as, a, as a social worker now, I see a lot of um, children that get abandoned, obviously, be working in foster care. And so they don't have a village, they don't have a support. And it's led a lot of them to um, get like mental health issues and it's led a lot of them to feel like they need to, you know, commit suicide and things like that. And I think that if they had more support uh, in their corner, they it might be a buffer in a sense to be able to assist them and give them more direction in life. Wow. Wow. Um, that's great. That's great. Let's talk about the mental health um, piece. Um, I know that you work for, you know, you're an advocate for families, fathers, um, you work with social work, with adoption agency, connecting families and bringing families together. How important um, is it for, you know, I, I don't know the, the layout for what you do, but how important is protecting the mental well-being or the mental health of children in those adoption agencies? It's very important. Uh, I actually teach a monthly class on grief and loss. Um, mm. I teach it every month to our prospective foster parents. And we usually average around 15 to 25 prospective foster parents that some of them may not have ever had a class on mental health or ever had to learn about grief and loss or trauma um, or may have never known the importance of looking at things from a uh, trauma-informed lens or a grief and loss lens. And so 
Um, that is what I teach every month. And so that's very important because what we want them to understand is it children that are coming into foster care are traumatized. There's no might, there's no may have, they are. That is a fact. And so if you are not able to recognize that that, that mental health has been affected, when they show you symptoms or examples via their behavior, um, you're going to respond to the behavior instead of trying to figure out the why. Why are they acting this way? Why are they doing X, Y, Z? And so it, it better equips you in a sense that if you are able to look at it from a different lens and not your normal lens of responding to a behavior, but a different lens and say, okay, well, why is this happening? Are they grieving? You know, are they going through some grievance steps? Are they being, are they traumatized? And is this a, a side effect of their traumatization? And so uh, being able to kind of get educated on uh, how trauma affects your mental health and how grief and loss affects your mental health is key to their success in your home and key to you being a successful foster parent or parent or natural supporter, whatever your role is in a child's life, being able to understand their history and their, their social history and their background is very important to um, making sure their mental health remains intact because their kids are resilient so they can they can bounce back, but they have to be supported. Right, right. I, I was going to ask you, I know that you're a single father and raising raising your son. And, um, you know, I know that I know that um, this can be maybe a challenge sometimes, but um, when there's no relationship with the real parents, it can be different um, with your situation and, and not just to understand how you manage as a single father and that missing, missing parent, how do you manage with that as a single father? Yeah, well, to be clear, um, my son's mom is not missing. She's just um, not, um, I guess the court just found her not fit to be able to um, take care of him. Take but care she's of still in his life. She's still yes. in his life. Okay. Yes. okay. Never Good. left his never left his life. So okay. um the course just found her um to not be the best fit to take care of his best interests. And so when you go to custody hearings, the courts have uh ten points that they look at in regards to um determining a child's best interests. And so and they're public things you can look up on your own. And so um they determine the child's best interest and so uh, they just deemed it fit that they deemed me the more fit parent uh and, and this is multiple judges um, deemed me the more fit parent. And so uh, I try to just advocate for him as best as I can, try to take care of his needs as best as I can. And um, I always tell people, just look at the fruits, you know, look at uh, your parent or whatever you, whatever you are, whatever you do, the proof is going to be in the fruit. So how does your, how's your child come out? You know, how is your child doing? You know, if you're working and you say you're doing well, well, look at the fruits. Are you producing good work? Or are you in trouble? Are you behind? Just look right. at the fruits. And so my son's doing well um, health-wise. He's doing well in grades. You know, he plays on the uh, wrestling team. He's very smart, witty, um, well ahead of his time, way smarter than I was, you know, at his age of 15. And so um, I think everything's going fine. You know, they could always yeah. be better, but I think they're they're going fine. And like I said, um, uh, he does have both, both parents. It's just that, um, again, I right. think that he, I think that he's in, you know, better hands uh, with me and, and not just me, but the other professionals believe so as well. Well, I, I just, I just commend you on being an advocate for family and being a stand and for the great work that you're doing there in Richmond, Virginia. 
um, connecting families and um, making transformation, you know, transforming the culture. Um, uh, one last question as we go, what would you encourage um, young men and young fathers? I, I say young because a lot of times they, they're thrown into roles of responsibility. And um, given the culture, what would you encourage them? How would you encourage them um, your last and final this year? I would I encourage just young fathers in general, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Just young um, fathers I, in general. Yeah, no, I would encourage young fathers to uh, be consi be consistent um, in their children's lives. That's probably the biggest thing you can do is be consistent and be present. And so that will trump any gift you give them, um, you know, any anything else you give them is your consistency, your being present, your uh, being trustworthy, and your providing a safe space for them. Those four things, I think if you do that, um, you'll be all right, you know, as a father and as a parent. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes, but if you're consistent, you know, trustworthy, and, you know, you, you provide a safe space and you're present in their life, uh, I think you'll be fine. I think they will. If they don't see it now, they definitely see it in the future when they grow older. Great, great, great. Now, um, Vincent, tell, um, tell us where we can find your book or and if someone is actually um, looking for families in the Richmond area, where they can find information about the agency there. Yeah, so um, on social media, I use my same name all across the board. So um, it's at Vincent Ellis White, uh, my whole name, Vincent Ellis White. That's Instagram, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. You can just look up that name. If you want to Google me, you can put in Vincent Ellis White as well. And um, as far as families, there's plenty of places you can go to for the state of Virginia. Um, you can go to any DSS locality and you'll find information on the state of uh, the children's state of Virginia. Virginia has a like an overarching um, family website as well. Or if you want to go to my specific company, you can look up extra special parents uh -huh. and uh, extra special parents is a um, treatment foster care agency. And so you can look up uh, extra special parents and learn about the different things that we offer there, different trainings that we have coming up. Good, good, good. I think it's so important that we, we keep the community aware because even during this COVID pandemic, a lot of kids have been lost parents or just kind of dealing with loss or um, you just may need some type of, even families may need to know how to handle kids they're adopting. So I think yes. it's important that you are doing the teaching and training the parents how to handle um the trauma that the child may have gone through so that's great great thank great. you so much thank you so much for stopping by kingdom culture and writers forum and sharing your wisdom sharing your work and um i really appreciate you um if you have any questions you can hit them up on twitter instagram um facebook and um just reach out to him with your questions or know of some families um, that may need the service or just looking to adopt definitely check that out in the richmond area thank you, thank you for having me i appreciate it oh you you're welcome I, I i my heart was like um like i'm working on a project with some with a company regarding um, bridging families together in the community and how to help the elderly and children so I just thought when um, you started talking about your advocacy work, you know, it's so important to keep families, you know, at the forefront. We can have businesses, we can have cars, we can have houses,
but our family and our and our our life our lifeline is really the culture and the families that we are in. So I think it's very important that we keep bridging the gap with families and bringing families together. So Agreed. thank you. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for dropping by Kingdom Culture Writers Farm, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. All right. Have a nice day.